Amen. Thank you, Robin. Great thought, great song. Uh, go ahead and get in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. When I speak on Wednesdays, we've been going through the book of Colossians verse by verse. We've not gone very far yet. We're still in chapter 1. And uh, I am a little hesitant with our lesson tonight because I think it's a little more complicated than uh, I would prefer uh, to be. But I hope that uh, um, God will give me grace to communicate it in a simple manner so that you would be helped and blessed by uh, this great truth. Uh, Colossians, of course, is one of what we call the prison epistles, four letters that Paul wrote uh, from the prison in Rome, three to churches, one to a man named Philemon. And Paul, as we have learned, did not personally visit the city of Colossae. It was evangelized by others. The church was planted by others. And even though that was the case, Paul uh, still had a great influence on the church as he did in many places. He hadn't personally visited. By the way, Paul or the other apostles, they couldn't visit everywhere. Uh, and so they trained faithful men who were supposed to train faithful men who were to take the gospel to the whole world. And uh, one of them had done that and taken the gospel to uh, Colossae. And though Paul had not been personally to Colossae, he prayed for them, uh, even though uh, he hadn't been there. And then last time I spoke on a Wednesday, we talked about the things Paul prayed for. Remember, he spoke very highly of uh, several uh, qualities of the church in Colossae. And so what we learned as we talked last time was that people who seem to be strong and seem to have it together, they need our prayers as well. You know, it's, it's kind of easy to know what we should pray for when uh, someone is sick or someone is broke. But, you know, when someone seems to be strong and they're influencing us and others for good, it's not quite so easy. And we saw how he prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Uh, faithful people need to know God's will. Uh, he prayed that they would walk worthy of the Lord. He prayed that they would be fruitful in good works and increase in the knowledge of God. Uh, remember, knowing God's will and knowing God, uh, they're two uh, different things, and Paul wanted them to have both of those. And through Paul's prayer list, we were made aware of some things that we can and should be praying for those who we think to be stronger, who, uh, who are helping us. Uh, our spiritual ad adversary, he's greater than, than any one of us. And our hope is always only in Christ. And the fact that because the Spirit of God lives in us, he who lives in us is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, now, many believers today have decided that they don't want much to do with uh, doctrine or theology. Uh, now, most of those kinds of believers are not in a church like this. A part of what brings you to a church like this is you have some level of interest in doctrine and theology because we, we tend to talk about those things in places like this. But doctrine and theology make a huge practical difference in our lives. You know, knowing more about who God is and what He has taught us to think and respond and to understand life and eternity. I mean, that's basically doctrine. And so that helps everyone in their day-to-day -day life. Uh, but among the theological terms that students hear and learn about uh, who take like our Bible Institute classes are the words standing and state. 
failing to understand these terms biblically has led to a lot of false doctrine as well as believing people uh, living with a lot less stability than Christ intended them to have. You say, well, what is standing and, and, and what is state? Uh, they're made up words to reflect some Bible doctrine. Standing is how God looks at us now in Christ. Standing is what God considers to already be ours because we're in Christ. I mean, for instance, it says that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Uh, now, we have everlasting life. That's our standing. But our state is, wow, I'm in this decaying body and I'm headed toward, you know, to one rate or another to, to death. Uh, state is how we look at ourselves and others now. State is what we see when we look at what we have now. If I was illustrating standing and state in practical terms, it would be like a young man who's born to a very wealthy family who had been given $100 million in a trust fund that he couldn't access till he was 25. So here's the question, when he's 17, is he a multimillionaire or not? See, technically, his standing is he's a multimillionaire, uh, but his state is he's got whatever money he happens to have as a 17-year-old. That same illustration, that standing in state, there's a lot of Bible doctrines that fall into that category of standing and state. In fact, Paul is going to speak of four things these believers already had as God looked at them because of their standing in Christ. By the way, these four things are things that every believer in Jesus Christ here tonight has. They belong to you. They're part of your standing. Now, none of these four things, though they were already theirs, were fully in their possession at the time. That was their state. And their state, just like ours tonight, is that you and I are in the process of building into our lives some things that someday we will have, but right now we're only in the process of getting. That is our state. Believers with too much emphasis on our standing usually make too little effort to live faithfully and humbly confess their sins and repent. Believers with too much emphasis on our state usually don't rest in Christ, and they usually don't rest in how God now looks at them in Christ. I hope as this goes on, it'll help you and be a blessing to you. It's really a great truth. Uh, if you would stand, please, in honor of the Word of God, tell my thought tonight is some things I have now in Christ. Some things I have now in Christ, Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul here says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, you might be seated. Now, our standing as believers in Christ is that I am already sanctified. We could find places in the Bible where it says we are sanctified now. God looks at me perfectly sanctified in Christ. Our state 
is that we're working through the process of setting our life apart more and more to the Lord Jesus. And our life now is a mixture of things that are set apart to the Lord and things we have not yet set apart to the Lord. Our standing as believers in Christ is that God looks at me as if I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our state is that we are increasingly learning what God defines to be right and hopefully increasingly living a righteous life. But the fact of the matter is, is that our state is a mixture of righteousness and unrighteousness. The standing of a young couple who is five months pregnant with their first child is that they're already parents. We believe life begins in the womb. Uh, Their state is that no one is getting up at night with a baby or changing any diapers or having any disagreements over how to handle the baby, even though they're already parents. Now, this standing and state issue, I hope by the time we get to the fourth one of these, you're kind of getting what's going on. There are four things in our text that Colossian believers already had in Christ that they were still trying to practically live out. Notice the first one of them in verse 12 says, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of life. The first thing, God had then already changed them to make them appropriate, to make them meet, to have a heavenly inheritance. Notice it's past tense. It says, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers. Something that had already happened. Now, in order to make us meet or appropriate for heaven, God had to remake us. We needed to be born again. We needed to be made new. We had to be changed to be meet, to be appropriate, to live in the perfect environment of heaven. Uh, This was something, according to the tense, that had already happened in Christ. In Christ, their standing was that they were already prepared for heaven. It's past tense. But their state was just like ours. Their life was a battle for the control of their heart and mind. Their life was a mixture of good and bad. They were not actually meet or appropriate then for the perfection of heaven in real life. But in God's eyes, they had the righteousness and perfection of Christ. In their own eyes and in the eyes of those who knew them, they still had some things that were not yet appropriate for heaven. You see, on one hand in our Christian life, we are resting in Christ, and God looks at us as already being made appropriate, made meet for our heavenly inheritance. But on the other hand, we are striving to get as much sin out of our life as possible, and we find ourselves unable to successfully defeat our flesh and get all the sin out of our life. In fact, keep your hand there, go in your Bible to 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. Notice what John says here in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. And notice he's going to use the word we. And so when he uses the word we and us, he's including himself as he writes to these Christian people. He says in verse 8 of 1 John chapter 1, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Do you see the state of the believer? The standing of the believer is that you're forgiven and redeemed in Christ. We'll see that in a moment. We now have everlasting life. But the state of the believer is that we are confessing our sins. And if we say, well, I don't have any sin. Uh, I I have not sinned. Uh, I don't need to confess. You're deceiving yourself. You can go back to Colossians, but as we think about what this really means about past tense being made meet, appropriate for our heavenly inheritance, and yet in the meantime, our standing, our state, I'm sorry, is that we're battling this stuff for some of believers who are sensitive, and there's some of you here tonight. You're very aware of your own failures, of your own sins, of your own faults and flaws, and everything that pops into your mind. And because you're sensitive, it just constantly troubles you. And you need to rest in Christ in your standing. God looks at you in Christ as already designed for heaven. (laughs) You, You need to let yourself feel good about your standing. Good about how God looks at you in Christ. You you need to let yourself feel good about your growth. Good about the things that are good and right in your your life. You need to allow yourself to enjoy and appreciate. Uh, God looks at you through Christ. Rest. In in God's eyes, you're already uh, made meat appropriate for your inheritance in heaven. But there's other believers here and you're not sensitive. And you're on the other end of the spectrum and you don't carefully look in your heart. You don't carefully look in your mind. You're not sensitive to your sins. You're rarely humble before God or other people. You rarely ever apologize. You hardly ever take responsibility whenever anything goes wrong. You you never look at your part in it. It's always, you did this because they did that. Uh, Listen. You need to begin to compare yourself to the perfect laws of God. You need to begin to compare yourself to the sinless Savior and how He lived those laws out to be more honest about your state so that you can strive against sin in your own life. And though you and I don't need to be familiar with the terms standing and state, understanding them helps us on a day-to-day basis. You see, healthy Christians know how to balance their state, their standing, and let themselves have peace. Balance their standing with their state to keep personally striving against sin. Does that make sense? Amen? But in Colossians, he doesn't just give them one thing that was a part of their standing. He also gives them a second one to begin verse 13. He says about God, in verse 13, he says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Notice, God had then already delivered them from the power of darkness. Again, past tense. This was something that had already happened. They had already been delivered from the power of darkness and Satan. Their standing was that they were already delivered from the power of darkness. But their state was just like ours. They were battling their flesh, they were battling the world, they were battling the devil for control of their life. The power of Satan and darkness impacted them internally and externally in their spiritual battle of life. But in God's eyes, 
They had already defeated Satan and darkness. In their own eyes and in the eyes of those who knew them, they were still battling the forces of evil for their marriage and for their home and for their children, for their ministry and in society. You see, on one hand in the Christian life, we're resting in Christ. And God looks at us as if we've already defeated Satan and sin. That's a huge deal. But on the other hand, keep your hand there, go back to Ephesians chapter 6. By the way, one of the greatest things you ever do in your Christian life is just be honest about your tendencies. You, you know, to, to, to become aware of, of what things you tend to do so that you might avoid them. Because we all have tendencies based on our natural disposition, based on where we are in our spiritual growth, based on our gifts and calling in life. We have tendencies. And if you don't realize and recognize uh, your tendencies, they're going to get the best of you. But notice on the other hand, in contrast to already being delivered from the power of darkness, in Ephesians 6 and verse 11, Paul says here to these Christian people, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's darkness. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And a lot of people take those phrases there in verse 12 and look at those at different, as different levels or types of evil in the spiritual kingdom. And in light of that, in verse 13, he says to us, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with a preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and praying always with all prayer and supplications. And we're very familiar with this section of the Bible, but the bottom line as we walk away from it, it's all about a spiritual battle. A battle that a Christian faces on a day-to-day -day basis with the foes and forces of darkness. For them in Colossae, it was the immorality of the idolatrous religions around them. For them, it was the evil of false doctrine, trying to get a foothold in their church and in their mind and their hearts. And we'll talk about that more in the later chapters of the book. For some here tonight, you're a sensitive believer. That's your nature. And you're very aware of the evil influence in society. And on your children, your grandchildren, it troubles you. In fact, some of you, it troubles you so much, you, you just can't find any rest or peace anywhere. Uh, uh, listen, I mean, you, you, people, you, you watch Fox News all day long, and, and you wonder why, why you have a, a complete negative view of everything in the world. Listen, you need to rest in Christ and in your standing. Hear me when I say when you and I battle Satan and the powers of darkness, we're battling a defeated foe in, an, in, in a conflict that has already been won. And unfortunately, because you're sensitive to this, you never let yourself feel good about your standing. 
You never let yourself feel good about the aspects of evil you've defeated or how far Christ has brought you already. You, you need to rest in Christ. You need to rest in the future He has for us. You, you're always fretting about the battle. For other believers, you're on the other end of the spectrum. and You don't tend to see evil in anything. You either don't notice or don't care about false doctrine. And you rarely take note of things other mature believers find to be evil. You rarely, if ever, see the evil in anything. What's wrong with yoga? What's wrong with having my child dress as Freddy Krueger for Halloween? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with tarot cards? What's wrong with the Ouija board? What's wrong with having a seance? Just a it's harmless fun. You, you, you go and you, you watch, some, uh, you, you know, there's some movies out. I can't even bear to watch a commercial. I mean, they're so filled with evil and Satan and possessed people and, 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 and things like that. And you go and laugh at them. And you need to begin to compare what's going on around you with the Word of God. You need to compare what your Creator defines as evil or false in what's going on around you. You need to be more honest about your state. And though we don't need to be familiar with the terms standing and state, understanding them helps us on a day-to-day -day basis. You see, healthy Christians know how to balance their standing to have peace with their state to keep striving and growing to be more like Christ. If you go back to Colossians, there's a third thing that they already had because they were in Christ. And this third one kind of has a, a double meaning, and uh, we're not talking about this tonight, but, but the kingdom of God, that's a pretty complicated phrase and, and how that is used and what it's mean, what it's mean. I think here it has a double meaning, and tonight we're just going to talk about one of those because uh, it lines up with the other three things near it. Uh, but notice in the second half of the verse 13 we just read, it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, past tense. Notice here is the third thing, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. God had then already placed them in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. To past tense. This was something that had already happened. In their standing, they were already in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. But their state was just like ours. They were living in the kingdom of men, living in a kingdom where evil rulers and tyrants oppressed them, persecuted them, took advantage of them whenever they could. But in God's eyes, they were already in Christ's kingdom. God saw them as already having perfect and an omnipotent king, and they were already citizens of a coming kingdom. On one hand, in our Christian life, we're resting in Christ, and God looks at us as already being in the kingdom of Christ. On the other hand, we're battling injustice in government and our legal system. We're beset with the increasing animosity our culture has toward Christians and the increasing animosity that Christians have toward biblical Christians. 
Listen, if yesterday's midterm elections tell us anything, uh, they tell us this. American culture has no understanding of biblical principles of government. None. They have no idea that government ought to value life. They have no idea government ought to value justice. No idea government ought to value freedom. No idea that government ought to do those things. None whatsoever. Uh, the, The election would have been completely different. That's our state. (laughs) For believers in the city of Colossae, it was the evils of Rome and the Caesars. It was them being taken advantage of by leaders who resented Christ and the message that condemned their idolatry and immorality. And some of you are sensitive. And you're very aware of how contrary our government and our leaders are to Christ. And it troubles you constantly. There are probably people last night, you, you couldn't even sleep. There's probably people in, in, in this room from two years ago in that election, and it still bothers you. And, and you're very sensitive to what's going on. And, and I just say to you, listen, you need to rest in Christ and in your standing. You're so secure in Christ because God sees you as already in Christ's kingdom. And you never let yourself feel good about your standing. You never let yourself feel good about the fact that regardless of how government in America goes, everything is going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. Listen, uh, our country will not be fixed by a red wave or a blue wave. Our country will only be fixed by a spiritual wave of revival and repentance. For other believers, you tend to pay little or no attention to government and what's going on around you. You rarely take note of the ungodliness in government. In fact, you don't follow politics. You don't even bother to vote. I, I almost, I almost uh, prior to the election a couple of weeks ago, just out of curiosity, passed out a piece of paper on Sunday morning and just asked, are you registered to vote? Are you going to vote? I heard somewhere that 40% of uh, evangelical Christians actually vote. And you know how, well, maybe you don't. As a pastor, I'm thinking to myself, not this congregation. Man, 95% of our people get out and vote. And I felt like I couldn't stand the answer, and so I didn't ask the question. By the way, that's good advice in every area of your life. If you can't stand the answer, don't ask the question. Listen, you you need to begin comparing what's going on around you to the Word of God. You need to consider what our Creator looks for in government and leadership so that you can pay an active role. Listen, if you're not registered and you didn't vote, I hope you never ever one time under any circumstance have anything negative to say about what's going on in our government. You did not participate. So shut up. Though we don't need to be familiar with the terms standing and state, understanding them helps us on a day-to-day basis. And healthy Christians know how to balance their standing to have peace and their state so they keep striving and growing to be more like Christ. I was having a conversation today 
with um, uh, Brother Joe. I don't even know if he's in here or somewhere else. Uh, I was having a conversation with him, and we were talking about patriotism. And one of the things people have criticized myself and this church for is they don't think our church is patriotic enough. And one of the things I said to Joe was this. If America is so much more ungodly today than it was 50 years ago, why should I have the same amount of patriotism today as I did 50 years ago? Is patriotism simply about the fact that I'm an American versus a Venezuelan? Or is patriotism is an aspect of that that America was founded with Judeo-Christian values and that's a part of what makes me patriotic? And and you can criticize me all day long. I will not be as patriotic as I am, uh, I will not be as patriotic today as I was 40 years ago because America is not the same. Say, Brother Wally, don't you appreciate those who served? I absolutely do. I thank God for them. We are only free because somebody risked. But anyway, I'm in the kingdom of Christ now. And so I'm not going to be overly worried about it. Amen? Which gets us to our last thing. Verse 14. It says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Notice again, this is past tense, in whom we have redemption, something we have now, through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Here's number four. God had then already given them redemption and forgiveness of sins. It's past tense. Uh, By the way, in an unrelated issue, uh, for your information, that phrase, through His blood, is omitted in an NIV, an ESV, and an NASV. Even though the blood is the basis for our forgiveness and redemption. Listen, redemption and forgiveness was something that had already happened in Christ. Their standing was that they were already redeemed and already forgiven. Their state was just like ours. They were battling the flesh, struggling to forgive themselves as well as accept God's forgiveness when they sinned in ways they thought they'd grown beyond. In God's eyes, they were already forgiven, though they sinned every day. In God's eyes, they were already redeemed, though they would sin the next day. God looked at them in Christ through Christ's blood. So on one hand, in the Christian life, we are resting in Christ, and God looks at us through Christ's blood and sees us forgiven. And on the other hand, we're beset by the weaknesses of our flesh, beset by the ways we still fail God and find ourselves unable to be like Him. Uh, This issue with standing and state when it comes to forgiveness really helps us understand what on the surface seem to be difficult places to understand. Go ahead back in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. By the way, all the most important things in the Bible are easy to understand, but there's parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. By the way, I believe God did that on purpose so that we would need to study 
to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I believe God also did that because you have to have a heart for God to know the truth. And if you don't have a heart for God to know the truth, if you are more bound by something else than the truth, then you won't learn the Bible. God wrote it that way. But notice what something Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. It says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Listen, if that was the only verse in the Bible, you would say that salvation came by forgiving others. But that's not the only verse in the Bible. Uh, in our standing, we are in Christ. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. In our state, we are working through this process of forgiving others and uh, obtaining the benefits of forgiveness. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, you in your standing, you're saved, you're forgiven, you have everlasting life. But if you don't forgive you're not going to have the benefits in your state that you would have if you would forgive. Listen, there's people here, you have everlasting life, and you're living without the benefits of forgiveness in a practical sense because you refuse to forgive. Standing and state. By, by the way, go up a few pages to Matthew after 18. This isn't the only time Jesus does this. And apart from understanding standing and state, you wouldn't understand these verses. Listen, there are things we have in Christ that belong to us that we will not receive until the day He redeems us, until the day our body is changed, on the day, until the day we're in heaven with Him. We will have everything then that belongs to us in Christ. We will have everything that is a part of our standing. But today in our state, though that stuff belongs to us, like the $100 million trust fund, today our state is we don't have everything that belongs to us. Jesus does the same basic thing in Matthew 18, verse 33. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due on him. So likewise shall my Father do also unto you. If ye from your hearts forgive not everyone, one his brother their trespasses. Listen, your standing is your forgiven. In Christ, my sins, past, present, and future, they're, they're gone. In my state, <laughs> I am suffering in life, in my closeness to God. I'm suffering in life for the lack of power of the Spirit. I suffer in life for lack of power in prayer. I suffer in life for lack of peace with God based on how I follow Christ. And in one way, it's forgiving others. You want to have the peace and joy of God in your life? You want to practically enjoy the benefits of being forgiven? You better forgive. Now, some sensitive believers, you're very aware of your own sins and your failure to be what you wish you were, and it just bothers you. I, I, I know, I've talked to some of you. You're sensitive people about your sins. It's a wonderful thing. But you also need to rest in Christ. And rest in your standing. You're already forgiven. You're already redeemed as God looks at you in Christ. 
And some of you, you're here and you never let yourself feel good about your standing. Good about the forgiveness you have in Christ and that your sins, past, present, and future, have already been washed away. You need to rest in Christ instead of fretting the battle against your sins. Now for other believers here, you don't seem to let hardly any of your sins or failures bother you. You need to face your real state. You rarely confess your sins. You rarely consider what you allow to fester in your mind and heart as if only your behavior mattered. You need to continue to compare what you allow in your heart and mind (laughs) and what you allow to come out of your mouth to the Word of God. You need to become more sensitive to your sins to be more honest about your state. And though you and I don't need to be familiar with the terms standing and state, understanding them helps us on a day-to-day basis. Healthy Christians know how to balance their standing to have peace and their state to keep striving and growing to be more like Christ. Say, Brother Wally, what's this all mean? You know, in really practical terms, if you try to be sensitive to God, you're just going to constantly be beset with things that come in your mind and heart and motives for doing things that you recognize are not what you wish they were and, and on and on the list goes. And if you just are sensitive and you just allow yourself to only consider your state, you're never going to have the peace and joy of God. And that's the way some of you are. Listen, it's not a bad thing to be sensitive. It's only a bad thing if you don't recognize who you are already in Christ. And what I find myself doing, sometimes I really beat myself up. You know, sometimes it'll be something I said or how I said it or something I failed to say. And and I just walk away and, and I'm so grieved at myself. I forgot um, two weeks ago to announce someone's birthday. I cannot tell you how grieved I was with myself. I, I, I just can't tell you. And thankfully, some godly person just said to me, don't worry about it. See, I lost sight of my standing. I'm already in Christ's kingdom. I'm already forgiven. I'm already have everlasting life. And though I need to be sent, sensitive to my sins and failures, I never need to just take them down into a dark pit and have myself a pity party over my failures. And other people here, you're literally in the opposite side of the, 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 the spectrum. Literally. And you have no th- real thought to your, to, to your state. You don't really pause and you're not sensitive to what you let go on in your heart or mind. You're not sensitive to what you say to others. You hardly ever... Listen, I am in, me, in counseling sessions regularly where it will come up that, well, now this person never apologizes. You need to be honest about your state. If you're on that end of the spectrum, 
And some here tonight, you're living below the peace and joy God wants you to have. You're not out in sin, but you're failing to rest in your standing. There's other people tonight, you're too insensitive to your sins, you're careless in your Christian walk, and you're failing to respond to your state. And what I see, quite honestly, is oftentimes as people get older, they become less and less sensitive about their state. We put these chairs uh, with the handles on them um, so that older people who couldn't kneel down uh, could come up to the altar. Do you know what you might conclude if you took a survey of all the invitations at Bible Baptist Church? That only people under about 35 were at all responsive to a sermon. Just because you won't do it, I'll do it. Amen. Do you really think you get to some place in your Christian life where you never need an altar anymore? You're not sensitive enough to your state. And there's other people here, you need to set yourself free. You just constantly let your failures and the sins that you battle in your life and, and, and you just, they just mount up against you no matter how sincerely you try to get them and you just never let yourself have any rest. Rest. When God said, I give unto them eternal life, He knew how we would be. When He translated us into His kingdom, when He made us meet for the inheritance of the saints of life, when He described us as already being forgiven and redeemed, He knew exactly how we would be, and yet, here we are. Amen? If you bow your heads and close your eyes.